Grace be unto you, and peace from God our Father, and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Let us hear the word of God, as we find it written in St. Matthew's Gospel, reading there in the 17th chapter, verses 1 and 2. And after six days Jesus taketh Peter, James, and John his brother, and bringeth them up into an high mountain apart, and was transfigured before them. And now may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Good morning, dear friends in Christ Jesus. I need not remind you that this is a more pleasant day than Sunday that greeted us last Sunday with the frigid temperatures. I am glad that we are here in God's house, and I hope that we appreciate the privilege of worshiping our God in this hour. Today, if you noticed on your church calendar, is the last Sunday after Epiphany. And in the Christian church, the last Sunday after Epiphany is called Transfiguration Sunday. We may say to ourselves, what's this transfiguration all about? As we turn to the Word of God, we have three accounts of it. Matthew has an account of it, Mark tells about it, and so does Luke. It was rather a strange occurrence. It happened about four months before the death of Jesus. He was just leaving Galilee, going over into Perea, wending his way to Jerusalem where he was to die. And we are told that he took Peter, James, and John, and he went up onto a high mountain with them alone. The Word of God does not tell us the name of the mountain, but tradition says it was Mount Tabor. So we shall assume that. We do not know what the hour was, but again we assume that it must have been at night. He went up on Mount Tabor at night with Peter, James, and John, and then on that mountain uh, something happened that had never happened to him before. Peter, James, and John had never seen anything like this. The entire appearance of Jesus changed. He was in the midst of prayer, we are told. And then Peter, James, and John, they looked at him, and suddenly his face shone with the brightness of the sun. It was dazzling. It was blinding. And that very glory that was coming out of his face had also oozed out of his body, so that his raiment shone brighter than the light. And they were blinded as they looked at him. They had never seen anything like this before. His glory was oozing out of his body. And then we are told that there appeared suddenly Moses and Elijah, and they began to talk to Jesus up there on Tabor that night. And when again Peter saw it, he, he burst out with joy and said, Lord, it's good to be here. I'll make three shelters, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah. And we are told that as he was speaking, a bright cloud overshadowed them all. And there came a voice out of the bright cloud, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Hear ye him. And when that happened, Peter, James, and John, they were terrified. And they fell with their faces to the ground, and they, they buried their eyes. They couldn't look at it anymore. And it wasn't very long then that Jesus came up and touched them, and he said, oh, get up, don't be afraid. And when they looked up, the, the vision was gone, and only Jesus was there. And so as they came down from Tabor that night, Jesus said, now, don't tell anybody what you saw, what this vision was, until after I am risen from the dead. This is the transfiguration story. His entire appearance was actually changed. And just as Peter that night, he shouted with joy, Lord, it's good to be here. 
would, he would call to you and me from the word of God this morning and he would say, rejoice and thank Jesus for the transfiguration. Thank him for the vision on Mount Tabor. I thank him for the night when his glory just oozed out of his body. You and I may say this morning on Transfiguration Sunday, well, I realize it must have been a wonderful vision that Peter, James, and John saw that night. But we may say, uh, it doesn't seem so wonderful to us. We may ask ourselves, uh, uh, does it give me any personal comfort? Does it give me any assurance when I uh, think of the Transfiguration, the vision up there on Tabor that night? And Peter, when he calls to you and me this morning that we ought to rejoice and thank Jesus for this transfiguration, for the vision on Mount Tabor would remind you and me that it brings us wonderful comfort. It brings us wonderful assurance, much more than you and I can really imagine. Let's look at it this morning. We may say, what does the transfiguration mean to you and to me? What does it bring us in comfort? What does it bring us in assurance? And Peter, in the first place, would remind you and me of this, that the transfiguration of Jesus that night on Mount Tabor, it brings you and me this comfort and this assurance that Jesus was beyond question God himself as well as a human being. Haven't you ever asked yourself the question, was Jesus really God? He was a man, wasn't he? We may say, I know that when he was born in Bethlehem and we just came from Christmas, we may say, the angel said, for not you was born this day in the city of David, the Savior, which is Christ the Lord. We may say that. But oh, he was, he was a babe in the manger. And we may say that I know that when he was 12 years of age in the temple, there was an intimate relationship and he called God his father. We may say, I know that when he was baptized, a voice from heaven spoke and said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And we may say, I know he performed a lot of miracles. I know that he even raised the dead. I know he called himself the son of God. But we may say to ourselves, was he really God? Can I be sure of it? Can I stake my life on it? Then we may ask ourselves, did he ever look like God? Did he ever look like God? You know, if he had never looked like God, I for one would have been a little disappointed, wouldn't you? But thank God one night on table. He went up on that mountain and he took three witnesses with him, Peter, James, and John, and his whole appearance was changed. And that was the night, boys and girls, when he looked like God. That was the night when his glory used out of his body. That was the night when his godness showed his deity was there. And oh, added to that, in the great cloud, God spoke again, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Hear ye him. You see, when he walked here on earth, he didn't look like God. Isaiah, seven centuries before he came, said, he hath no form nor comeliness, and there is no beauty that we should desire him. Oh, I know that when we see pictures of him, we see the halo over his head. Bear in mind that when men made statues of Jesus that were meant for outside, they put a covering over the head so that the pigeons would not light on the head or the birds and there would not be bird dung. And that's where the halo came from. He never wore a halo. He looked just like you and me. But one night, this was the transfiguration upon Tabor, there is where his godness came out. And to me, that gives me something. Was he God? Yes, because on Mount Tabor, he looked like God. There it was. His entire appearance was changed. You couldn't look at his face. It was glistening like the sun, and his raiment was whiter than snow. This is the assurance. He was no less than God. He wasn't an imposter. He had to give them that assurance. There was one night then, four months before his death, 
when the radiance and the glory that was his as God the Son was there. And therefore it brings this assurance and this comfort to you and me that because he was God and on Transfiguration Mountain you could see it with your eyes. You and I know this, that therefore as God he was big enough and he was of great value enough to be our Savior, yours and mine, and the Savior of the world. This brings comfort, doesn't it? We may say to ourselves, how could this lowly Jesus, how could he be big enough to be the Savior of the entire world, from Adam to the last child that will ever be born of woman? On Mount Tabor, he was God, and you saw it. Peter, James, and John witnessed it, and therefore he was big enough. He is of value. This is comfort for me in my Christian experience, and I hope it is for you. And that's why on this Transfiguration Sunday we ought to heed Peter when Peter said, Rejoice and thank Jesus for Mount Tabor. I thank him for the Transfiguration, and as we thank him, we ought to bear in mind that we're going to hold fast to his deity. Don't let anybody ever talk you out of his deity. He was God, to be sure. And we may say, well, why didn't he look like God? When he walked the streets of Jerusalem, why didn't he? Well, when he, who was God the Son, came into this world and took unto himself a human body and a human soul, born of the Virgin Mary, again, this human nature inherited all the majesty of his divine nature. But in his great plan, his human nature, it laid it aside. He didn't use this power except when it furthered his mission. When a miracle was necessary, he performed it. When he needed omniscience, he used it. But he chose to be the humble one, and he laid aside that deity. But, oh, he was God, because don't forget on Mount Tabor that night, he again, he was changed. He was transformed. There was a tremendous metamorphosis. He was no less than God. And when you and I will hold fast to his deity, then what comfort we get, we can say to ourselves, he must have loved us a lot. Being God, oh, he must have loved you and me. That love is tremendous, that God came into this world and became a human being and lived here on this earth for 33 years. He was God because upon Tabor that night, he shone with the glory of God, why his glory just oozed out of his body. This is comfort. He must have loved you and me a lot. Transfiguration Sunday, the Apostle Peter, no wonder he went into ecstasy, and he said, Lord, it's good to be here. And he calls to the word to you and me this morning. He says, thank Jesus for Mount Tabor. Give him your very thanks, because look at the comfort and the assurance you have, and you and I may say, isn't that wonderful? What comfort and assurance do I have? And Peter would remind you and me in the second place that the transfiguration, this great thing which happened to Jesus up on Tabor, it gives us also this comfort and assurance that Jesus with his cross, he was beyond question the way to heaven. Have you ever said this to yourself? What is the way to heaven? What's the plan of salvation? Can I be sure that the way to heaven is Jesus Christ? We may say, well, didn't Jesus say so in the upper room when Thomas said that we don't know where you're going and we don't know the way? And when Jesus said to him, Thomas, I am the way, we may say, can't I be sure that this is the way, that Christ and his cross is the way? We may say, but how about those who lived in the Old Testament? How about those that lived in that period uh, from Adam up until the time Jesus came, 4,000 years? What was the way of salvation for them? When you look up to Mount Tabor, Christian friends, and you and I see that Jesus was there, Moses and Elijah also appeared, and that's something. Moses lived 1,500 years before Jesus came into the world. 
Here was a man on Mount Tabor with Jesus that lived 1,500 years before that night. And here was Elijah, and Elijah lived about 800 years. Sort of halfway, Moses, Elijah, and Jesus. Here were two great prophets from the Old Testament. And you and I may say, what did they talk about? Luke tells us what they talked about. Here was Moses and Elijah, and they talked to Jesus that night on Tabor about his death that was going to come in Jerusalem. Isn't it rather strange that two Old Testament prophets would put so much emphasis on his death, why his death was the center of his entire work, why he came into the world? Go back to Moses' time. Yes, he was the great lawgiver. Moses was the great mediator when he was at Mount Sinai, and God through him gave the Ten Commandments. But don't forget that at Mount Sinai, God also gave to Moses all the rules and regulations of what tabernacle worship was to be, the slain of the lambs the shedding of the blood of the lambs, that when the lamb would be shed in the Old Testament, everyone as he shed the blood of the lamb would look forward to the blood of God's lamb, the lamb of God that would come. It was in the Old Testament, it was Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the lamb of God, even as it is in the New. Then there was Elijah, the great fearless prophet of God. He lived up in the northern kingdom, and things got pretty tough in the northern kingdom in his day. People were wandering away from the true God, and Elijah thought he was the only one left that was worshiping the true God. But God told him there were still 7,000 that hadn't bowed the knee to Baal. But in that northern kingdom, you remember King Ahab and his wife Jezebel, she had come from Syrophoenician country, and she brought that infamous Baal worship into the northern kingdom. It was an infamous, it was a licentious, it was an adulterous thing. And when children were born in this illicit religion, they were offered to the god Baal. If you remember my pictures that I took at Baalbeck, you saw the trough where the throats of the children were slit and the blood ran into the trough and their bodies were offered as human sacrifices to the god Baal. Elijah lived in that time and things were happening so that they were wandering away that there wouldn't even be the worship of the true God. Where would the Messiah come from? And Elijah was the man that God raised up and they went up on Mount Carmel, remember the story? There were 450 prophets of Baal. Then Elijah said, we're going to build an altar and we're going to cut up a bullock and put it on the altar. And you have yours and I'll have mine. And you pray to your God, Baal, and I'll pray to the Lord, the one that sends down fire. That's going to be God. We're going to decide it today once and for all. You remember on Mount Carmel, the Baal worshippers, they cried and they cried and nothing happened. And Elijah prayed to the true God of Israel and the fire came down and licked up the water that he had put on the sacrifice and even melted the stones. Elijah was the man that brought Israel back to the worship of the true God. And you know, they killed the 450 prophets of Baal after that incident. They were up there on Tabor that night, I'll have you know, and they talked about his death. And when you and I say, I want this comfort and I want this assurance, that when I put my faith and trust in Jesus Christ as the way of salvation through his death, I want to know beyond the shadow of a doubt that that's the way, well, it is. Mount Tabor gives you and me the assurance. Moses, 1,500 years before Jesus came, and Elijah, 800, they spoke about his death. It was the consummation of his entire ministry. He had come, and therefore we have this glorious assurance and comfort today because of Mount Tabor, that Jesus Christ, by his death on the cross, it was a timeless sacrifice. It was for you and me and for all human beings, 
He bore hell and damnation in your stead and mine, and he merited a robe of righteousness that bestows eternal life on every man that believes in him. You and I can stake our eternal destiny on that. Don't you ever be afraid, because one night he took Peter, James, and John, three witnesses up on table, and his glory used out of his body. And Moses and Elijah from the Old Testament were there, and they talked about his death. There's only been one way of salvation in the old word of God. There aren't two ways. There was one way, and that one way is still secure on the basis of the word. It is Jesus Christ and his death in Jerusalem. This is the certainty and the assurance, and that's why today, when we celebrate Transfiguration Sunday, we say, what, what does it mean to me? Uh, does it give me any comfort? Is it so wonderful? We ought to heed Peter, and we ought to say, thank Christ, that he, he did this one thing, only one time, but witnesses saw it. He went up on Mount Tabor, and he allowed his glory to ooze out of his body. There was the glory of his godness. And they spoke to him about his death, and we ought to say to ourselves then that when I come to know Jesus Christ and I commit my life to him, it must be to him a savior, not just as an example, not just as a teacher. Many people say, oh, he's a great teacher. Sure he was. He's a great example. Sure he was, but that doesn't save it's only when in your life and mind you and I surrender to him as our Christ, the one that died on the cross, the one who in that death merited a righteousness that brings you and me eternal life. And when we can surrender to him as we rejoice because he was God, because his death, this was the consummation of his entire mission. Then you and I have this comfort and assurance that faith in him will never fail. He'll never sell you and me short. He'll never prove himself an imposter when we have faith in him that faith will bring you and me eternal life because on Mount Tabor that night all his glory just oozed out of his body it must have been a tremendous scene when his whole appearance was changed that's why Peter calls to you and me and he says I thank him for Mount Tabor thank him for the vision up there I thank him again for this transfiguration when his glory used out of his body, when his face shone just like the sun and his raiment was whiter than snow, it was white as light, it was blinding, it was dazzling. No wonder they were afraid. It brings us comfort also. It brings us the comfort and the assurance of the beyond question that Christ's heaven, it must be wonderful, it must be great, it must be just tremendous. Rather strange, isn't it? We are also told that Again, as you look up there on Mount Tabor, Moses and Elijah, they glisten too in the light of the glow as the glory shone from the body of Jesus. Again, they glue. Their bodies were gleaming and their bodies were glowing. We may say to ourselves, what about it? Moses, you know, died and God buried him. Over at Mount Pisgah, I stood on Mount Pisgah, and there somewhere God had buried him. For this occasion, God gave him a body, and it was glowing. Again, it was glowing from the glow of Jesus. There was Elijah, if you remember him, you know, he didn't die. When God took him to heaven, remember, there was a chariot of fire that came down and took him bodily. He went to heaven with his body. Moses didn't. But God gave Moses a body that night, and Elijah had his own but the big thing is, they were glowing in glory too. You and I say to ourselves, heaven must be wonderful. When you and I in Christ go to heaven and when the last day your body and mine is raised up, 
your body and mind will glow. It will shine with the brightness of the light. We may say to ourselves, that's, that's a wonderful thing, isn't it? Oh, as the days go on and we say, oh, how the eyesight begins to dim. We begin to wonder why is it that the printer, he used such a small size pikes when he sets type. Why isn't it larger? You just can't see it so good. And you may wonder why is it that the people don't talk as loud as they used to do. Somehow or other we don't realize maybe the hearing is beginning to fade. We say, why don't they talk louder? Why don't they talk a little slower? We hear words, but we, we don't get the meaning. Oh, we could say a lot, couldn't we, about day day, about old age. Oh, there's ringing in the ears. Some of you say, what about this body? Oh, you can take such good care of your body or eye of mine. But again, age comes, doesn't it? And it means that this body is going down into the grave. But oh, up there on Mount Tabor, Moses and Elijah, they shone with a glorified body. Heaven must be tremendous. Peter, James, and John saw it. And John said, and we beheld his glory. The glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. And oh, what comfort. What comfort it means this. The comfort and the assurance that we shall know one another in relationships that will even be far greater than the finest that we know on earth. So many have asked me this question about the transfiguration. How did uh, Peter and James and John, how did they know it was Moses and Elijah? You know, I, I'm, I'm thankful that nowhere in the three accounts are we told. They just knew it was Moses and Elijah. I like that. I like that because it substantiates what the Word of God says, that in heaven we shall know even as we are known in Christ Jesus. Some of you have said this to me in all sincerity. When you became a widow or a widower and you contemplated a second marriage, some of you have said to me in all seriousness, will I be embarrassed in heaven if I will have had two husbands Will there be moments of jealousy in heaven if I have had two wives? This becomes rather serious for some of you. You've talked to me about it. If we're going to know one another, what will the relationship be? Isn't it wonderful to know this? That we shall know one another even as we are known. But that Jesus says in heaven there will be no marriage and there will be no giving in marriage. That the relationship will even be far greater than that. If yours has been a happy home, a little bit of heaven on earth, the relationship in heaven, as we know one another, will even exceed that. What it will be, I don't know. But I do know it's going to be worthwhile to find out. This is comfort and assurance. Peter, James, and John, they just knew it was Moses. They knew it was Elijah. Because we're going to know one another. And that's why on Transfiguration Sunday we ought to heed Peter when Peter says, Thank the Lord. Thank him for Mount Tabor. Thank him for the Transfiguration. We ought to thank him and praise him because of the tremendous comfort. And in the thanking of praise, and then we ought to show it in our lives by living, as it were, with one foot in heaven. You know, Peter never forgot this thing. Talk about living with one foot in heaven, we ought to, oughtn't we?
when we can stand and look up on Mount Tabor and, and see the glory oozing out of the body of Jesus and see such a tremendous vision. Peter never forgot it, if you remember the epistle lesson in his second letter. Oh, when the time came when Peter was facing martyrdom for Nero, he wrote and he said, and I saw him, I was with him in the holy mountain. He never forgot it. He lived as it were with one foot in heaven. He never forgot the vision. Oh, that night, you know, poor old Peter, and I can imagine when he said, Oh, Lord, it's good to be here. Let me make three shelters. Hold it, God, hold it. Oh, don't let it pass. I'm going to put a shelter for you, Jesus, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. Hold it. It reminds me of myself when Christmas comes, the holy night. I hate to see it go. Oh, I just, if it could just, if it could just stay. And this, this was the way old Pete Johnson was that night. Lord, uh, just hold everything. But you see, the song is ended, we say, but the melody lingers on. The song was over. And then Jesus, he told them, it's over now. We go down from the mountain and don't tell anybody you've seen it. Anybody ask you if you've ever seen my godness, my glory? You are my three witnesses. And it was best that they didn't tell you at the time. But Peter never forgot it. It was such comfort to him. He lived, as it were, you see, with sort of one foot in heaven. And when you and I can do that, because we can look up on Tabor and we can say, oh, it means something. This gives me comfort and assurance. Then it, it brings this joy and this comfort and this assurance that when we face death, uh, let's, let's face it, let's face it with a smile. Let's look at death as, as sweet death. You see, what is death then in the light of Tabor? Why, in the light of Tabor, death is that period of 5, 10, 15 seconds when we pass through a door. It's the doorway that leads to the eternal mansions where we've got a Christ who, who just gleamed and glistened in his, in his godness. It, it's sweet death. Nothing to be afraid of, is it? We ought to welcome it. Jesus did. We are told in Hebrews and what a comfort this was. Four months before his death, his father brought him up on Tabor and let him get a foretaste of what he had had in heaven. And again, in Hebrews, we are told, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame. He was glad to go to his death because, you see, on Mount Tabor, he said, this is what's in store for me. It's just that, that brief going through that, that doorway, you know. We ought to smile, not be afraid to talk about death. Death is part of living, isn't it? And you see, Tabor says, everything is just going to be all right because it's sweet death. So when you and I walk in the night, when we are faced with death, let's not be afraid. Uh, let's say it's sweet death. This is the, the gateway. And then let's look up to Tabor. When we look up and we see Jesus with his glory oozing out, we can sing in the night when death is so close. Oh God, how great thou art. How great thou art. Oh, how Great thou art, sweet death. Amen. The peace of God which passeth all human understanding.
keep and unite your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus unto life everlasting.